I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And brought to you by you. Thank you to our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com slash UK tech. If you're a patron, of course... This is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to be to get our extended cuts, weekly columns, live streaming and access to our Discord members club for chatting with us, head to patreon.com slash UK tech to find out how you can support us for as little as one US dollar a week with no commitment. And thank you to Brian, Joey and John for adjusting their pledges this week. And also welcome to newest patron, Stuart, who I believe joined us very late last night. So just in time for today's show which is uh, which is fantastic now some really interesting things are going to be landing on the uh, the the feed over the next uh, week or so we have got what i think might be the best special we have ever produced which is going to go out on uh, tomorrow on the 25th of december it's going to go out later today on our patreon feed um, though and it is a special all about astronomy search for extraterrestrial intelligence talking about science fiction carl sagan's book contact we're joined by pamela gay who is um, an astrophysicist and an incredibly knowledgeable uh, woman in the science community uh, we're also joined by Tom Merritt and Veronica Belmont, who I know that some people will be very familiar with. And all five of us, including Ian, are going to talk for 45 minutes about space and SETI. And it's it's just, it's wonderful, if I do say so myself. I no, think. It, is, it is. I've listened to most of it now. I haven't listened to all of it. Um, but it's really, really good. And it's uh, really interesting and uh, a bit different. I, I wouldn't have thought, you know, six months ago we'd go for something like this. But I think definitely we'll probably try and do it again won't we Nate? because it was good fun and yeah uh, sounds amazing yeah it's really come out very very well indeed and we've also then got a outtakes special which is going out uh, to all uh, on both feeds over the next week or so but a little bit earlier on the patreon feed as basically as soon as i finish editing it uh, which collates all of our funniest and most interesting outtakes uh, from the year's uh, shows and uh, it's uh, i'll be honest it's it's hilarious it is pretty hilarious and that's coming that's coming uh, over the next few days uh, just in time for the new year's hangover so look out for that too uh, but also joining us this week is cnet.com's andy hoyle hello andy ah, I, was wond- I was wondering when you get around to me hello there i've been sitting here so patiently you have well i had housekeeping to do you see so it was just well. es- essential to get that out of the way first andy's going to be joining us to talk about uh, some tech of the year later on uh, we're gonna have a bit of a gadget nerd out uh, in the second half of the show but uh, but he's going to join us for the rest of the show as well and we're going to start by talking about dating not a topic that we have covered very frequently on text message before now <laughs> but okcupid ha- is a, a very popular dating site and it has begun to enforce real name rules and insists according to ars technica that it is a good idea so the company wrote an open letter saying we all have real names um, and said that we want you, Big Daddy Flash 916, to go by who you are and not be hidden beneath another layer of mystique. Now, 
the feature's only going to display first names, according to us, and OkCupid says no outside service verification will be used to confirm that the name matches your actual identity. And this got me thinking a lot about whether this would change the dynamic of dating. Um, firstly, it is only using first names, so you're not having to use your your surname and to be Googleable. Um, and other sites have done this before. So Tinder, for example, is connected to Facebook, but only displays the first name. And Motherboard also wrote this story up and had a really interesting bit of insight from a, uh, a woman who goes by Girl on the Net, who's a sex blogger, but she works under a pseudonym for privacy reasons about the change. And she said to Motherboard that she went on a first date with a man she met on OkCupid and they had a nice time, but wasn't interested in the second date and let the guy know. But apparently he then proceeded to get very drunk, sent the woman a series of increasingly angry messages, um, in which culminated in a couple of threats. He even threatened to contact her boss, apparently, but couldn't because he didn't know her full name. <laughs> so the woman concluded to Motherboard that, uh, quote, I'm genuinely terrified for the people, many of whom may be far more vulnerable than I was at the time, who go on dates with Jekyll and Hyde type characters like this, who seem totally fine in the first instance, then turn into threatening nightmares. Now, OkCupid, for the record, has said we encourage users who do not feel comfortable to instead use a nickname or their initials. Now, I'm curious about how this would affect... Um, uh, well, in that on. example, it wouldn't really be a problem, would it? Because they would still be using just a first name and you still wouldn't have any more details than you would if you went out on a date. So presumably her concern was she went out on one date, they probably only used first names and then he still he started to be, you know, belligerent, which is disgraceful. Um, but uh, so it doesn't sound like OkCupid going down the first name route would be a massive problem, um, although they're not really checking anyway. So you can use any first name you want. Yes, you could technically use any first name. I could use Nate, but it's, it's not a very common name in, in the UK. I would be in a small pool, I imagine, of, of London-based Nates on the site, I imagine. And indeed, I was on the site, and we'll come to that shortly. I don't know what this solves at all, because if you uh, you can still choose a nickname, I mean, that well, that's all a username is. And yeah. so this isn't, this isn't, nothing's changing here. Nothing. At all. You can, really? al you can, al you can already use your first name and your surname as your username if you wanted to. And now you can still not use your first name if you don't want to. So what's changed? Very little from, I mean, from a practical point of view, I can see yeah. what they're what they're going at. I guess it, it affects the people who have already registered and have built up um, a profile on the site. So obviously you wouldn't want to go back and then redo all that. Uh, so that's probably the only thing stopping it. But for new registrants or people who have an account and set up another one, you know, there's no, there's no restriction at all. It's not helpful. So, hmm. And John, John in, uh, in our Discord, um, in the, the patrons who are listening live, says um, he has to use uh, effectively a condensed form of his full name because his actual full name is very, very common. Um, and so having a kind of what's effectively a, a pseudonym or a nickname is kind of essential anyway. Yeah, saying your first name is John is not necessarily going to get you identified as somebody but john also suggested lord laser thighs which is perhaps the greatest name ever suggested by anyone it gives us some insight into how our patrons actually uh, uh identify themselves to people outside of this <laughs> beautiful podcast community um well so so what's interesting about about this is for those of you who don't know i actually met my wife on okcupid um several years ago and um, it's something I've always been very pleased to talk about because it's kind of a nice success story. Like I think the stigma has gone from online dating uh, almost entirely uh, to the point that it is now just just as acceptable now as as using a you know 
what they call them lonely hearts sort of service back in the day was and yeah. you know there's there's no stigma it's not like a nerdy thing to do it certainly was when i was in my early teens you know if you said you met somebody on the internet they would assume either you or they were some sort of stalker or murderer or pedophile or, or some other um cretinous uh individual whereas now it's just you know hey we're busy we all use apps we've all got phones so internet dating is fine uh in fact here's a thought i'm gonna go and grab her and see what she thinks to this. Hang on. All right, fine. Kate's joining me here. Hello, uh, hello, wife. Hello, husband. Uh, we met on OKCupid. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we both had pseudonyms when we joined the site. Would Do you reckon this would have made a difference? Like, would you have been happy using your real name, which is, of course, Kate? Um, I probably would have used Kate. Um, I wouldn't have put my surname on there, obviously, because um, it's quite unusual and I, as a woman in London, would be scared of being murdered by crazy people um so yeah i probably would have used kate but i think it makes it a bit less fun to just everyone have their first name to be honest yeah that's true actually because my the name that i had on uh on the site and we won't reveal what our usernames were but mine probably told you a little bit about who i was um yours was very amusing did you get any weird messages from uh, men who weren't me yes as a woman on a dating app you get lots of ridiculous messages you get on okcupid you get like a percentage match of how closely matched you are based on your profile and i was having messages from men who were like five percent matches to me saying hey where do you live do you want to do you want to out for a drink and then you look at their profile and it's like i'm hardcore religious i like hanging out with my friends and movies and that's it and you're like well you're completely anonymous you could basically be anybody and i've written this whole paragraph about myself and if you were so inclined you could probably find out who i was and where i worked from that so it's yeah it doesn't make you feel very safe really do you think that uh you would get do you would you expect that you would have fewer strange bizarre or concerning messages from men if they had been forced to use their real names probably not i think men who are gonna send pictures of their special parts <laughs> are going to do so regardless of whether their first name is john because men like that are just gonna do that anyway aren't they well thank you wife for the uh for the insight there you can um what were you doing in the other room i was playing legends but now i think i've probably lost my game oh she was playing elder scrolls legends i'm sorry about that i i think that's an interesting uh a point though about actually uh your personality being reflected in the username you choose because i've seen accounts and it's you can tell a lot from how people want to describe themselves it's like a headline really isn't it and if people want to put in uh you know uh, uh jim bunny 247 he's like okay well this person is really into their health and fitness i'm a lard ass who likes cakes and sitting on the sofa we're probably not going to be um a brilliant match so usernames have a really good place i think in the dating world this is all very very odd to me because i've never done it and i i don't understand first of all what i mean i guess there are different services for different requirements right so tinder was always sort of kind of a hookup site right so it's the entire premise of that site is to uh get you to pick someone based on their initial appearance presumably once you get to the point where you're actually looking to find someone for a long-term relationship you would then you would use a service where the description is the most important thing um but i wonder if um especially for you know people 
I guess where you and Kate were in your uh, at the point where you started looking online using dating services, I do wonder if there's a, a room for a service where everyone is verified quite carefully. But And by that, I mean, perhaps you have to connect via, well, probably not Facebook because Tinder already does that. But there actually there actually is. Lovestruck is one that that does uh, kind of verified uh, profiling. Oh, was that so, the one that you uh, <laughs> had a refund from? It was one I had a refund <laughs> from because I, I well, for a variety of reasons. You didn't find reasons. a wife from there. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I demanded my money back from all dating sites uh, that did not result in weddings. Um, so OkCupid is the only one that hasn't been demanded money from. But no, um, Lovestruck is one that, that does do uh, uh, a verification service and it's free. It doesn't even cost anything. It's part of the, the, the fee you pay to be a member on these sites. Hmm. And um, and they check LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and things. And, and then they, div- and- div- they actually put badges and say, yeah, this is a verified person. So I was just wondering, do they also look at your Twitter feed and think this person's an asshole? So give you a special badge that says, avoid this person. Uh, I don't know, because, of course, I never ran into that problem being no, such a... No, I would. Sure you didn't. I, I would absolutely have that problem, wouldn't I? And with and that with all of my, you know, in fact, let's be honest, I'm going to have trouble no matter what I do on a dating site. So, um, but did you not, did you find that Lovestruck was a better service as a result of that or not? No, I never actually used that feature because I think that had been, that wasn't in in place before right. I, okay, you know, when I, when I joined. But I mean, I tried, I'd used a, a whole bunch of, of dating sites and, and have some hilarious stories from, um a lot of the people that I that I met on there, but but most of them I just I, I found to be very, um, what's the right word? Like they try and pigeonhole you so much that it kind of reduces everyone down to lowest common denominator. Like you yeah. know, my interests include movies, going out, meals. Uh, it's like well, <laughs> and let's, fun and Don't fun. fun like, let's let's assume we all enjoy fun, having meals <laughs> and and watching a movie from time to time. Um, and so the, the, I, I I tried, God, I must have tried five or six sites over a couple of years, and um, and eventually like OkCupid okay had the right balance of um, kind of flexibility with a profile, but also um, a, a, a women nice, you wanted to marry, women that I wanted to to actually meet um and, and I it mean, didn't... also though uh, there is a, there is something here that i do want to point out and it is that you are a writer i am a writer and andy is a writer um if we can't come up with a profile that's a bit more interesting than i like having fun then we've failed as writers but most people don't care about stuff like that they really don't put any effort into the things they write and that doesn't that shouldn't preclude them from having dating fun but i guess you know i suppose the point is that you would look for someone who had a profile that you were interested in no matter what I remember getting a lot of compliments, not just from people on uh, OkCupid, I mean, but from friends who'd read my profile that said that my profile was probably one of the best they'd ever read um, and that I should write other people's profiles for them because it was it was funny and uh and honest and uh oh you should yeah, that's a good service perhaps you should <laughs> yeah Kate says in the discord apart from mine yes that's true hers was hers was hers was probably better than mine but mine was uh was pretty good i don't know if i get drunk over christmas maybe i'll end up posting it as a patreon blog and you can all uh, look forward to having a a giggle at my expense about how i met my wife uh, if you've had any thoughts on this topic if you've got 
feelings about using first names or real names on dating profiles. If you've had any experiences yourself um, using real names or, or having any interesting experiences on uh, on dating sites, meeting uh, the, the geeky person of your dreams, it would be lovely to hear some stories. We could maybe talk about those in the new year or um, on our next episode, whichever comes soonest. Uh, you can send those thoughts in and you can be anonymous if you wish to hello at techpodcast.uk. Well, switching mobile operators could soon begin with a simple text message. Uh, Ofcom is going to be introducing an auto-switch system that forces providers to sort out the finer details of a switch uh, on their own, according to Engadget this week. Here's how it's going to work. You request a code online, by text, or by calling your provider. Then you're free to shop around, get a good deal. When you're ready to make the switch, you simply give them a code, which is not a million miles away from the... Uh, the pack codes that we have today pac codes and then everything is transferred within one working day including your number if you want to according to engadget but also as part of the, the move ofcom is abolishing notice period charges as well so it doesn't matter when you want to cancel um, but if you do have outstanding fees i.e if you were given a phone as part of your contract um, then that'll be quoted when you request the code so you'll get the code and the estimate of how much you're going to have to pay if you use the code. Now, Engadget wrote that there's a number of benefits here, such as making it possible to cancel your current contract without calling anyone, meaning you don't have to wrestle with a salesperson as they try and persuade you to stay. Now, personally, I think this is something of a disadvantage uh, because you can sometimes get really great deals by threatening to leave, can't you, Andy? Oh, you absolutely can. And we have both been pretty successful, I think, in arguing for uh, for better deals. And, and even if you didn't intend to play hardball in getting a better deal I have been uh, tempted to stay with a plan that I was otherwise going to leave because they doubled my data and lowered my my price I think well to be honest that's why I was going to leave anyway so fair enough you've won you've kept me let's all get on with our lives (laughs) Ian have you been uh, have, have you tried this tactic of calling up saying you're going to leave I remember years and years ago when I was, I think it was when I uh, started the negotiation for my new phone at CNET, uh, I used to, I was, I remember vividly standing in the lab, which was also a box storage area, and having a long, long argument with Vodafone about how they wanted me to sign up, I think at the time for an 18 month contract. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't want any longer than a 12 month contract. And, you know, the constant negotiation about getting the phone i wanted on the contract length i wanted and i believe i did end up having to suck up an 18 month contract for the n95 um but hey ho it was a good phone i didn't mind having it for 18 months ultimately um and i probably got a good price so one of the things had to give and at the time they really didn't want anyone on 12 month contracts there's no surprise there um so yeah uh i did it I believe I had a similar contract for the N95, probably at about exactly the same time when we were both both at CNET. There are occasions, though, when um, you want to, when you know you want to cancel a service because you maybe just simply don't need that service anymore. So you're not trying to barter, and I'm sure we've all been there. I certainly have. When I really, I'm, I'm just repeating, no, please, I'm not looking to stay. I'm not looking for a better deal. I just want to leave the service. But the person on the end of a phone will still force you to go through every single thing they possibly can no matter how many times you repeat i want to leave i want to cancel they will still take you through it It can take a long time it's annoying and they're only doing their job but it's still 
frustrating. I think part of the reason maybe why they are so insistent is they always have cancellation departments or retention departments, as they sometimes call them. And I suspect they're on commission for the number of people they get to stay. So it's sort of in their interest, personally, to try and convince you as much as possible. Because the... I like to think that they get electrocuted for everyone that leaves, like a short electric shock from the seat. So it's they they, they really don't want you to go because they'll be punished. Well, it's nice to have a bit of sadism on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I always cancel my contracts. <laughs> Any thoughts you have on this? As ever, hello at techpodcast.uk. That's where to send them. <laughs> Okay, let's move into a bit of a special feature here. We wanted to do something a bit geeky and nerdy on the show. We do spend a lot of our time, as we know, talking about broadband and policy and all sorts of things uh, that relate to the, the, the wider kind of tech industry in the UK. We don't often just hone in and talk about gadgets and tech and things that make us excited, things that got us into this industry in the first place in order to write about and talk about. So we thought we're going to talk about some of our favorite technology of the year and why. Uh, Andy is our guest here from CNET.com. So we're going to talk to you first, I think, about about what your top product of the year uh, is or, or the most interesting product of the year for you uh, and why. So go on. What have you got in your in your sack over there? Well, I wanted to bring out my uh, rebuttal because I figured that you would uh, be talking at some point about the Apple TV 4K. And so my product really is the argument to the Apple TV 4K. And it's the Roku Streaming Stick Plus. Um, this year has been a big year for TV in both the amazing new shows we've got, in the proliferation of services, in 4K, in HDR, in bigger, better TVs. Like, it really is the golden age of TV. And so having um, ac- access to 4K HDR um, content um, is really important. And yes, the Apple TV um, 4K does that. But the Roku Steam- Streaming Stick Plus has all the services that you would want in the UK, you've got Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, uh, BBC iPlayer, um, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, um, and, a, and a whole load of others. And it does 4K, and it does HDR content, but this thing only costs about £65, which is less than half the price um, of the Apple TV. Um, and it is so simple to use. It is, um, slam it into your HDMI port, and off you, off you go. It's great. And and I think that it's that, that simplicity of use, uh, its price just means that it is really affordable to to have and put into your home. Um, whether you're a like a dedicated gadget nerd who wants the latest greatest thing, or whether you are you know you're buying it for a family member who just wants access to iPlayer. Well. Um... Uh, I, you're right in your assumption that I was going to talk about the Apple TV 4K. Uh, and the main reason why I am so excited about the Apple TV 4K is actually because of Apple's upgrading of existing purchases into 4K films as they become available. Mm. Because one of the reasons to stick with Apple in general, if you've been with Apple for a while, is is the ecosystem that you've invested in. You know, So you've, you may have spent hundreds of pounds. I've certainly spent hundreds and hundreds of pounds over the years on apps for iOS, uh, apps for my, for my Mac and things like that. And so buying a new product, I know that they're all going to follow me onto that new product. You don't 
don't necessarily get that um, with some other third-party services like Roku. Um, but recently with films like Interstellar, Apollo 13, Secret Life of Pets, um, Independence Day, like a bunch of purchased films I now just have in 4K uh, on my on my 4K TV. And that to me is the reason why the Apple TV 4K was such an exciting product for me. It was It was specifically because of the kind of the retroactive value that it applies to your previous purchases um and, and genuinely seeing a, a movie in 4k on a 65 inch tv um that you've never seen at that high resolution before is actually really really exciting and uh, and i've i've really loved that it is i've gone back and i've watched quite a few things um uh, in 4k hdr again just because i want to see how it compares because I've I've got a new LG um tv to display it as a, as reference and it looks fantastic which which model which model the, are you using off the top of my head i can't remember the b7 i think it is 65 b7 something like that i should probably remember this so i can plug it and give them some credit for it but um uh it's nice um i'll tell you afterwards and you can put it in the show notes um uh, okay but it looks great and it, but that looks great on the on the roku and there are there's a lot of um 4k um uh content on the amazon prime video app and um bbc iplay is starting to doing some stuff um and of course netflix um, but the thing I think that's going to be interesting as well is we don't really know what um, uh, Google's plans are for um, f- uh, for 4K um, films uh, yet because you you can get the Google um, Play Movies um, app on Roku, um, but as of yet I believe in the UK you still can't get uh, 4K films. That's still a US only thing. Um, so it'd be interesting to see whether they try and, and compete as heavily um, with Apple by offering the that um, upscale for free option i have a feeling that the chromecast ultra does now do 4k in the uk i believe so yeah i believe so i seem to remember some pricing information that leaked well it was on twitter about their 4k pricing structure and it was absolute insanity it was extraordinarily expensive well, the Chromecast Ultra costs 70 quid, uh, 69 quid, actually. I've just Googled it. And uh, yes, it is Ultra HD and it is HDR as well. So that's half the price of the Apple TV. And that would work nicely for your for your ecosystem in the Android and Google world as it does for me in the Apple world. The problem because... is, though, that it, it, well, Chromecast doesn't really work the same way as Apple, does it? It's not, it's not really... It's not really playing things in the way that an Apple TV does. It's getting a stream yeah. and relaying it to you. There are advantages to the way that Apple does it, I would say. Um, and casting is fine, uh, but you can do that on an Apple TV. I, I suppose it really depends on what phone you've got. If you've got an iPhone, you'd be mad not to get an Apple TV. If you've got a Google phone, you'd probably be mad not to get a Chromecast of some kind because they are better with each other, I would say. And uh, I was just looking at this and it looks like Apple, uh, sorry, Google brought 4K content to the UK in Google Play in November. So it's it's about a month ago okay, it, so it, it finally did enable then. this. But I wanted to talk about this as also a way of saying that I think the thing for me tech-wise this year has been the the increase in, in really stunningly produced 4K, uh, 4K shows and the increase in uh, in the, uh, the the bigger better TVs to 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 view this on, like it it really is a pleasure to to watch TV these days in a way that I kind of haven't found it to be um, before. Well, Ivar in the chat room uh, in Discord has just no- noticed that all his James Bond movies have been upgraded to 4K on the Apple TV as well. That is something I'm going to have to investigate because I've been long meaning to 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 rewatch a lot of the old Bond the Bond films. Um, also, I've just I've I just had a quick look on Google 
play and you can obviously can get uh 4k to buy anyway and actually the pricing is not too bad uh 9.99 standard definition which is a ripoff 12.99 for hd which is okay and 13.99 for ultra hd so that's pretty good isn't it no because that means that you're paying more for 4k than you are for hd yeah you're paying a pound more you're paying more than that to go from sd to hd and only a quid to go from hd to ultra hd but you're not watching anything. You're not paying anything extra for HD or uh, for 4K on 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 Apple. And in fact, there are some there are some places I've seen that on on iTunes where the SD, the standard def version, is the same price as the HD for some yeah. TV shows. I mean, they all do it differently. And I think that Apple's attitude to upgrading people to 4K is brilliant. But I I suspect that that is a uh, some a product of the fact that Apple moves a lot of stock and can ask providers if it's okay to give people um 4k versions when they've only paid for an hd version and i would imagine that uh, you know the 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 companies uh, involved in it would just say well realistically people are probably not going to pay to upgrade why don't we just say yes and just eat the the difference but i i would imagine it's only really apple that could ever get away with something like that because it just has the volume where i suspect google and others doesn't can I just do Plex while we've just talked about Roku and uh, the Apple TV? Because you can get Plex on both. And Plex has had a really good year. And one of the reasons it has it, uh, is the development of things like you can now watch uh, live TV on Plex. So if you, want, if you get a, a compatible digital receiver and an antenna, you can have Plex set itself up as a digital television hub uh, you can set it to record things on Freeview. Uh, you can, and then it will amass them in your library as it would with any other content, which is quite good. Uh, they've also they're also going into live uh, news and stuff like that. So they have um, content from uh, companies like Ch- I believe it's called Cheddar, isn't it? The Twitter service. I, I would imagine uh, that uh, with the launch of TikTok uh, from your company Bloomberg, Nate, I would imagine that that will turn up on there soon. So what they're trying to do, obviously, is get away from being a service that is used. Used exclusively by people who've nicked movies off BitTorrent and into something with a little bit more legitimacy, which is good. And they apply that glorious look that they have and their their rich metadata, which really is the whole point of Plex. It's it's that simplicity in setting it up. Um, gives you access to all your music as well if you've got a lot of a large music collection. And they even launched in their labs a little kind of mini player, which is supposed to evoke memories of uh, Winamp. And it does sort of. Oh, good old Winamp. I kind of wish they'd gone after the look a bit more, but it's a very small, light player, and it just streams music from your Plex server. Uh, And, of course, Plex servers are not as complicated as they used to be. You can put it on a NAS. You can put it on a load of different things. If you've got an NVIDIA Shield, that can run a Plex server if it's got a lot of storage or you uh, hook up an external drive to it. So I would say from this year... Plex has had a pretty good year and that's quite exciting and I know it's not a bit of hardware but it's still cool. Uh, Ian one of the other things I noticed on your list of tech of the year is one that took me by surprise the Mate 10 Pro. Yeah man it's good I wasn't expecting it. Um, This is the uh, Huawei. Yeah that's right they've really done something quite spectacular um, in that I mean I've never had a massive problem with Huawei phones uh, the, the old ones were gack but then most Android shocking. phones weren't amazing yeah but the, the Mate 10 and also the P9 and the P10 are both are all surprisingly good and 
I, I, I feel like it's, it's very easy for me to come on here and say I love the iPhone 8 because I do. And it's very easy to say I love the Note 8 and the S8 because they're both great phones. It's not, it's not particularly challenging to anyone to hear that. Um, but Huawei offers phones that are, well, they're not that much cheaper now because premium is the only way for these companies to make money. But it is a, an alternative if you want something with a really good camera um, and, you know, and a, and, a, and a generally great piece of hardware. Uh, then I do not believe that you can go far wrong with a Mate 10 Pro. Uh, the only downside is, of course, no headphone socket because after everyone spent all their last year laughing at Apple for taking the headphone socket out, they honestly couldn't remove them quick enough from their phones. Do you know the thing so, that annoys me about it, though, um, Ian? What's that? Uh, is that they, so they have the Mate 10 and the Mate 10 Pro, and the Mate 10 Pro um, has a headphone jack and isn't waterproof, but the Mate 10 Pro right. doesn't have the headphone jack and is. And they said in their briefing, they told me that they didn't that they uh, uh, didn't make the 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 normal Mate 10 waterproof because it was it was because uh, they couldn't make the headphone jack waterproof. And I pointed out and said, well, everyone else has done it. Um, Samsung's Galaxy yeah. S8 is waterproof and has a headphone jack. And we said, oh, it's too difficult. Like, well, you just haven't put the effort in. Like, that's just literally just laziness. I was like, well, well, we can't figure it out properly, so let's just not. Let's just get rid of it. Um, and that, yeah. I thought, was an annoying thing. But what might surprise you is my favorite thing about the Mate 10 Pro is that it's brown. And, like, which may sound like I'm joking. I'm not. It's a really nice, like, deep brown, coppery color. Um, and it's gorgeous. I think it's it's a color that I haven't seen on a phone before, and particularly when most most reminds me of the Zune. It is. I was just going to say the Zune. I was thinking of a pun about the Zune. I was going to say, yeah, I couldn't get my hands on a brown product Zune enough. Ah, ah, very good. But like it's it's a it's it's a color that we don't see in phones. You know, we see black, silver, and probably gold, and. Um, it's just different and it look it looks it is nice. boring i mean get, get, getting those same old colors over and over again is a real yawn fest for me i'm looking at a, i've got i've got phones on my desk and as it as it for some reason as it's shaken out this year i've got um i've got currently two iphone 8 pluses on my desk and both are rose gold or whatever gold it's called these days and then on my on my left hand side i've got um a note 8 an s8 an iphone 7 plus and a and the mate 10 pro and they're all sort of blackish so i'm all for a new color really well if you've got a brown product you'd like to wax lyrical about simply let us know on hello at techpodcast.uk um hughes to say it's not a great color choice One of the things I wanted to talk about as well here are surprising products. And this is something that came up on uh, on the CNET podcast last week, which I guested on to talk uh, to Andy about. It's basically the same show. <laughs> it's not. It's different. It is. Except that we've swapped Rich Trenholm for Ian Morris. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought Rich was great with it, you know, doing the movies and stuff. I thought it was a really good podcast. I would encourage anyone to listen to that. Yes, Thanks, uh, but one of the things that we that I talked about on there was a surprising product for me, uh, the Beats Studio 3 headphones. Um, I've not been a fan of the Beats products in general since their, since their launch. The first product they released under the Monster Beats brand uh, was very, very good. And then there was a pair called the, I think called the Pro, the Beats Pro, um, the big silver, silver-backed heavy ones. They were excellent. I wrote about those for Wired um, back when I was at Wired. And and I recently tried the Studio 3s. And the reason I wanted to try the Studio 3s was because it, they use the same wireless chip that Apple put in the AirPods, um, which means they work very, very seamlessly with all your Apple devices, but they're also compatible with non-Apple devices. 
And I was curious how that worked out. And it works very, very well. And it's great. But the thing that surprised me most about them was actually how good they are with genres other than pop and dance and things like that. Um, as regular listeners know, I'm a massive audio snob. And I don't mind admitting it. And the beats in the past have been always, you know, very good for kind of pop and dance and electronic sorts of music. And, and they're sold at a premium because of the branding and the, the fashion and all that kind of stuff. And that's just none of that is of any interest to me and never has been. So I've always kind of shied away from it. But I've been very, very surprised at how well these headphones uh, do things like acoustic music and folk stuff and heavy metal you know it particularly on the metal side it's very easy for bass heavy headphones to um to to basically come across as very boomy and fatiguing when you're listening to a lot of very deep bass and double bass drums in heavy metal going hell for leather um but the beats do a really really good job actually of um of conveying all those plus obviously they do sound very very good for um for pop and and stuff like that the battery life is amazing they last for probably 30 odd hours in in my testing over the last couple of weeks and um and that's great the only downside to me is the fact that they won't work as a pair of passive headphones so unlike a lot of noise cancelling headphones which these also are and and also the noise cancelling i have to say works very well without coloring the sound which some lower end models um will do because of the way the noise cancelling works um you you have to have them charged up so you can't just plug a cable which does come in the box into them and use them as a passive pair of headphones if the battery dies it's if the battery dies it takes a whole system down with it which to me feels like a bit of a flaw and i think they could address that and for the, the problem future. is that when you use noise cancelling headphones without power you're, you i mean they need an amp don't they you i have used headphones that work and they're always a disappointment if you don't have the if they don't have a battery in them so you're but not... it's technically possible because the old sennheisers they always used to have noise cancelling as an option but you could always fall back to using them as a passive pair and i think it added flexibility and i guess if you're in a bind then you know like you're on a plane and you run out of batteries then you've got no more then it's useful because you can carry on listening to music but ultimately it's not that hard to charge them up is it and they charge extremely quickly you, you know you can probably pack. get yeah, you can. I mean, you can probably get an hour's worth of charge, an hour's worth of playback from charging it for about five or six minutes. It's really, it's very, very fast um, to, to charge up for another few hours of use, um, which is which is great. And it hasn't been a problem for me at all. It's just it's just a quirk to the, to the product. And and I think there are, you know, they cost they cost three hundred quid, and you can certainly buy headphones that cost 300 pounds that that may sound better for your genre of choice and you can probably buy some that have a, a sturdier build quality I, I don't i think they're built nicely but you can certainly get more rugged models um but that's that's sort of the beats styling and they're very light as a result of that and very comfortable to wear so i i never thought that i would catch myself um talking about how great a, a pair of beats headphones were on the podcast but i've uh, such was my surprise with these that i felt it was only fair to to say uh they done good i could talk about the camera i've been shooting on um the last few days because i think it's um shockingly um expensive odd. well yes expensive um uh ian i know you like to yes. do some cam camera talk with me um, I do. so let's see how this one floats your boat it is the uh it's the phase one xf camera system but it's got the iq3 um achromatic digital back this is a medium format camera where you buy basically the camera and the actual digital sensor separately mm. but as a whole system this thing comes together and uh costs uh, for the camera body about fifty thousand pounds and each lens that you'll buy is roughly around 
10 grand. So um, the, the whole system that I've borrowed at the moment is, is in excess of £100,000. And if you wanted um, to switch that sensor out, so say you've, you want to have both a colour and a black and white sensor, how yeah. much does that cost? That's a good question. Is that, I bet it's a lot of money, but it's it's, it's interesting as an infrastructure, you know, like because you've got the option of doing both if you really want to. Um, yeah. So if you, if you're a pro and you're making your money out of it, you'd probably want both. I would imagine. Yeah, potentially. I think I think really, if you're a pro and you wanted uh, and you wanted black and white, you'd probably just go with color and just do very good black and white conversions. But the the great thing, um, th- so yeah, this is the one I'm using is it's black and white only. So. It it seems just absolutely bonkers to be spending that sort of money and only having black and white. But having shot with this thing, I took this down to um, Dungeoness, which um, if, for those who aren't aware is this weird sort of ethereal, almost post-apocalyptic landscape uh, with full of these like broken down huts and and like the skeletons of boats drawn up on the on the on the shingle beach. Um, but a brilliant place to shoot black and white stuff and this camera just takes the most superb shots. But you'd expect so. It costs as much as a sports car. You would, but I'm just saying, well, it costs more than a lot of sports cars, but it's, um, yeah, you could, get a, you could get a Lambo for this, um, and maybe you should, um, and just shoot on your iPhone. So who but, buys these? I mean, who's spending £100,000 on a camera? Well, two, uh, two main groups, really. Um, either fine art photographers who do very big commercial work that demands... Um, the utmost in image quality both in terms of um sizes that you can print at you're talking big billboards um or the amount of um editing options you have because the dynamic range of these images is so huge because the detail is so huge you can edit uh you can do so much post processing on these images without degrading the shots like i've been able to do um post work on my shots that i i know i simply could not achieve on my uh, even full frame canon 6d because the latitude to to bring back uh highlights and bring up shadows in in certain ways simply isn't there um how many how many stops does it give you of uh... i think it i think we're talking about six maybe 16 stops okay which is it doesn't sound dramatically more does it than a normal slr yes we're, we're, we're probably talking double Oh really? So you, well, oh, it, I suppose effectively huge. they talk about you getting quite a lot of dynamic range out of a camera, but actually the reality is you don't get quite as much as they say, do you? Yeah, and if you you, you may you may be able to on, on a lot of cameras that we say, oh, you know, there's a lot of detail kept in like the the dark areas. You can bring that up, but the amount of image noise that will also be there um, yeah. is it, huge. Whereas in this, like you can bring this stuff right up, and you've still got an amazingly clean image that you you could you would happily. Um, put on the front cover of, of a magazine or on, a, on an advert it's 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 amazing what you can do and the actual detail of course is 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 huge um, but the other thing with with this is that it's, there's a lot of industrial applications as well um, uh, for like overhead imaging but apparently particularly in um, for uh, looking at foliage growth because there's no um, uh, infrared f- uh, filter built in so um, I don't know specific details but I'm told that it it, it makes you can see more uh, relevant detail in 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 f- areas of foliage without this infrared filter um uh, so that's another thing that it's there for but we are talking super high-end stuff and and, the, and and i hasten to add i am not a super high-end photographer the reason i got this is is as a interesting um article to that i've been writing for cnet about kind of you know what i've learned from using something so insanely high-end i normally shoot on on you know consumer canon gear um, and recently I've done a whole series of photography features about how to take great shots on an iPhone. So I've gone lower end there and now I'm just, for a bit of fun, 
going super high end and seeing what I can get out of that. And I'm really pleased with what I've been able to get. But um, Have you got a gallery online anywhere uh, or places that, that we could point people to? Uh, if you you, uh, you can follow me on Instagram with at Battery HQ, um, you'll see all of my photography on there. And my last few shots I've posted have been um, uh, examples from that uh, from that camera. Okay, well, we'll include a link to that and embed some of those into the show notes at techpodcast.uk or in the Patreon blog that accompanies this episode. Um, I just wanted to move on to something uh, funny just before we end the show, um, because my favorite overall product of the year, uh, not just in tech, but my favorite product of the year is my new shoehorn, um, (laughs) which Ian bought me for my wedding uh, as a wedding present. And I've loved- 95p I spent on that. I mean, I, I it's the best 95p in the world because it's brought me so much joy. John in the Discord is saying he's getting one for Christmas. I'd like to Brilliant. take credit for that. Um, I've certainly recommended shoehorns or shoe high um, to no. to yes to multiple friends. I don't believe horn is a is a word that you can you know use that trick with. Well, I just did. Fine. Um, and and I think it's it's uh, it's a tremendous it's a tremendous gift. Uh, Ian, you love your shoehorn, right? You still use? Do, of course I do, because I'm an adult man of a certain age. <laughs> Andy, have you used a shoehorn? No, I haven't. No, because well, pop outside um, now. Just outside that room. There's a sh- if Just you go head- outside the room you're recording in right now. There's a shoehorn. Do you want to go and grab it? Put a shoe on and and give us a live demonstration of of what you feel uh, like. I I am uh, still essentially a teenager in that I mostly only wear skate shoes, and when I put them on, they remain tied, and I just shove my fingers in the back and 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 ram my foot. Yeah, but you don't need to shove. This is a point. You don't need to shove your fingers in the back. You need to get with the program, man, and you need to understand that that is a fundamentally flawed. Yeah, but I'm 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 young enough still that I can bend over to do that. Yes true and i and while i can't uh, i feel like you you need to have a shoehorn in your life I mean, nate was as skeptical as you andy i have to say when i started to tell him about the shoehorn world he was like oh come on ian i'm i'm a young man i don't need a shoehorn that's an old man's game like fine <laughs> without fine. getting without getting uh, a bit too tmi um this seems like a similar argument to when i uh, tried convincing all my friends that um moistened toilet tissue um, is one of the most life-changing things I've ever had in my life, and I and I and I stand by that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think everyone should be learning that that's the case. I think um, I will later on film a video of my shoehorn and also of Andy using it for the first time, so we can get a little bit of uh, multimedia. Uh, I'm, glad I'm glad you said the shoehorn and not the toilet paper thing, but yeah, there's absolutely <laughs> no way that's going on video. Um, <laughs> But uh, Ian, I think you and I could maybe start a, sh- a-, a shoehorn-focused uh, podcast or, or a blog podcast. where we review the latest in-, in shoehorn technology. We could call it "I'm Feeling Horny." Um, yes. Or I mean, that would actually be very good. You horn. Uh, you horn. Yeah. I, well, now that'd probably be a collection of uh, shoehorn videos, wouldn't it? Uh, it's hard to say at this juncture. Um, what, so what I would suggest is that we, we, we put our feelers out, try and get uh, shoehorn PRs involved, uh, perhaps yeah. get the buy-in of big big shoehorn, uh, you know, the, <laughs> and, uh, big, and, gen- big horn. and generally try and... Big horn, yeah. And try and make it so that we've we've got ourselves a real uh, back-end infrastructure here that could uh, sustain us financially for many years to come. I wanted to expand on this slightly to talk about how um, 
horn innovation could be achieved in <laughs> in 2018 and one of the things that i like about umbrellas are the ones where you press the button and they extend themselves out now a shoehorn currently for the long ones the ones that are about one foot or so or, or, or larger um they're a fixed length so you can't conveniently yeah. put them in a bag um in order to horn when you get to <laughs> it's a verb now <laughs> when you get to the office and then and then put it away in your bag. Mate, mate, they're you, 95p each. You could just have one at every location. I mean, literally so, every location. Market opportunity. Create one that is able to extend on demand and charge five quid for it. That's wow. a huge premium over that. And I reckon that, you know, for, for horners such as you and I... <laughs> That could just be game-changing. <laughs> I, I can't believe this. We've got a, a name for the collective now. Um, of course. And the website has a name and the podcast has a name. It's absolutely brilliant. Yep. Horn Club. Sign up now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have uh, a shoehorn... Oh, hang on. So uh, Kate in the Discord has just linked us to a telescopic shoehorn on sale at Amazon. Sadly, it says it's currently unavailable. Um it doesn't but look like it starts off small enough, to be honest. It doesn't. It's not what I had in mind. It's certainly good, but it's not great. Any thoughts you have, of course, on this or anything we've talked about to hello at techpodcast.uk. Um, what was your tech of the year? And also maybe, interestingly enough, for our next episode, what are you planning on buying in the January sales in the tech world and why? What are you waiting for or what are you hoping to get uh, under your tree or your non-religious spruce of choice um this year uh, all are welcome to let us know hello at techpodcast.uk well much like uh, santa as we record this we have a bulging sack just waiting to rain down uh into households across the world and sebastian is the first to feature in said sack he says hi guys regarding phones in school uh, we can't dismiss a measure only because it can be circumvented or because it won't cover all use cases after all there will always be cheating in exams or other assignments but at least some students will follow the rules having to deal with fewer distracted students must already make it easier for teachers as ever loving the show sebastian well thank you sebastian it's true we will always try and cheat the system i say we I have long since finished cheating at anything uh, other than life itself, um, but I suspect that uh, that you're absolutely correct. We've also had one from Chris, and he had a very insightful take on the topic of phones in schools from last week's episode. Uh, he said, I have a use case, though, for phones in schools. My daughter has type 1 diabetes, and she monitors her blood sugar levels with an implanted sensor. This connects via Bluetooth to her Samsung Galaxy S6 and that she then uses a Pebble smartwatch to see what's happening. It also means her data can be uploaded to me and my wife. She's pretty good at interpreting what's going on herself, but she's only seven. If she or her teachers needed something interpreted or advice, we've got the data to answer well. Um, he says signal blockers would be a very bad idea for us. Uh, and he says, while these connected um, implants aren't yet the norm for diabetic treatment, um, they're getting far more common. And I just thought that is an incredibly interesting way um or rather an incredibly interesting use case for why you know children under 10 may actually want phones in schools uh we had one here from anthony who said the answer to cell phone blockers would be a teacher's wi-fi network and wi-fi calling that way kids phones could be blocked but teachers phones would still work also they have a could have a kids network and filter times um and content for the kids just to example uh, for example to only allow incoming messages through a school app that's an interesting idea 
I think that would take even more investment in the infrastructure and a lot more management. But certainly, uh, you know, having a, a signal blocker like we discussed, but having teachers use Wi-Fi calling uh, would definitely be an answer to that problem. Um, Ian, do you want to take uh, Mark's next? Yeah, sure. Hi, Nate and Ian. Uh, I've been catching up with the latest podcast and I noticed that you covered Uber's latest hit uh, and the recent denial of license in my hometown of York. The local voice, uh, conscious that I might be in a comfy echo chamber here, has generally been versions of, oh yes, back in the back in the dark ages and the York taxi mafia win again and death of consumer choice, etc, etc. The facts that I've read from the ruling are this ruling only applies to York-based Uber drivers, and there are about 10 of them. Uh, This decision won't stop Uber drivers' licence from other authorities from working in York. Based on those two facts, it would seem like the ruling changes absolutely nothing. The majority of Uber drivers I've used from York are actually from Leeds and Bradford uh, and can continue to operate, which makes sense. I actually had a really good conversation with a black cab driver the other night that was extremely rational on the subject of Uber. And he perfectly accepted the idea that um, we need Ubers as much as we need black cabs. And he said that he didn't have any problem with it at all. But the, the issues that everyone has with them, and this was, I, I got back to Surbiton quite late and I needed to get a black cab. Uh, and Ubers were also coming to the same place, which they're not allowed to do. And they were getting in the way. And he said, you know, it's things like this and it's generally bad driving and things like, you know, not listening, not being able to speak specific kinds of English. He wasn't so much against the idea that it's, it's a job often done by immigrants who maybe don't have the greatest English skills. But he said there are some things that you need to have certain kinds of English in order to know what people are asking you and stuff like that. I mean, it's less of a problem in an Uber anyway. But anyway, it was. I thought it was quite an interesting thing. And it definitely was a nice alternative opinion from a, a black cabbie. We've yeah. um, uh, at, at CNET, we recently did um, a big feature um, where, we, um, uh, me and, and some of my colleagues, spent quite a bit of time um, with um, various um, black cab uh, drivers. We went down to some of the um, the big meeting points around London, and and the, the differing of opinions was actually was much more dramatic than I thought. But we had some people, certainly some of the, like the older crowd, who were um, as you kind of expect, holding that very um, the, the classic uber equals evil um sort of view um lots of sort of vitriol um fired towards them uh, but there are there are plenty who were like well no it's just a different business model and you know we need to up our game to do things they need to find other ways of of bringing in more revenue into their driving um, which is why you'll see more cab drivers um who have uh, their um their black taxis um with adverts on them because that brings the individual driver in revenue from uh from the advertisers um and so that's something that's being more common in in light of that um but similarly on the uber side like we've talked to many drivers who don't have who who love being an uber driver they love the flexibility of that they they earn um plenty of money there's been a lot of discussion about how badly paid uber drivers are that isn't something in London that, that I've found that in the ones we've talked to that has been much of an issue. Um, so it, it really isn't the cut and dry argument that it that it often is. Obviously, this isn't including some of the morality aspects of Uber with some of their um, you know their behind the scenes stuff with their executives yeah. that's been going on. But just in terms of their actual business practices, um, it, it does seem to differ quite um, quite a lot, certainly from city to city. Well, it's really interesting. And thanks very much to Mark for chiming in from York with um, 
such an interesting interesting point so thanks thank you very much and the last email here comes from andy not andy on the show right now my brother but a completely different andy a uh, whole fresh andy he says hi chaps enjoyed the podcast this week as ever didn't agree with much of what you were worried about on net neutrality in the uk though as nate pointed out at the beginning of the segment unlike the us competition between isps in the uk the market is strong and if one was to mess around and slow down or stop services such as iplayer then people would just leave and go to another in the way that they can't do in lots of parts of the US. I imagine Ian at this point is thinking cynical thoughts about how B Sky B might block Netflix or the BBC. However, we only need to look at the pay TV market to see that the companies do look beyond short-term gain. Virgin carries Sky channels and just last week Sky inked a deal to continue carrying from its largest sport competitor BT. With broadband speeds ever increasing and data allowances for mobile expanding every year, the number one thing that makes or breaks a service is content and user networks, not prioritizing its packets. Spotify isn't kicking Deezer and Tidal's ass in the streaming music market because it has a deal with Vodafone on data not being part of the bundle. Cheers, Andy. Interesting. Ian, thoughts? It's maybe not even so much about what the actual outcome is, but about the fact that it could go a certain way. And I don't see how we can really stop it long term. Um, But yeah, I mean, all fair points. Yeah. Well, if you've got a fair point or an unfair point or just a point and you can decide on which side of the fairness line it cross it lands, uh, you can send that to hello at techpodcast.uk. That's going to do it for this week. Um, don't forget to look out on the feed uh, for a couple of specials over the next week. Um, the first up is going to be our big, fat extraterrestrial astronomy and sci-fi special, um, which will be coming today for people on the Patreon feed and coming tomorrow on the 25th of December uh, for everyone on the free feed they're both the same length and they're not charged for because we only on the patreon we only uh, mark the official main news focused episodes as um, as the ones that are paid for so this one's a complete freebie on us as a gift to you for all your support this year and we hope you enjoy it i think it's fantastic if i say so myself and then later on a few days later we're going to have our hilarious outtakes special um, which in the current edit is sounding absolutely beyond hilarious i've been laughing to death just editing it so i can't wait to publish that uh, and then we'll be back um we're not 100 sure what we're doing over new year in terms of episodes but certainly we'll aim to have something out um if we can also thanks to andy for joining us from cnet.com andy where can people find you online uh the best place you can find me is uh, instagram i said earlier with at battery hq uh same handle on twitter and you can find my work on cnet.com perfect and also i should thank my uh, lovely wife who's sitting in the other room probably still playing the elder scrolls for joining us um if you want to find something of hers online she has a book published um uh, a wonderful book called the fox of richmond park which is available on amazon in paperback and ebook it's very good and uh the reviews speak for themselves so if you fancy a interesting little gift to yourself or somebody else why not consider that it's a lot of fun um let's go bye <laughs> bye, <laughs> bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.